Hello and welcome. These are some sermons given by Monsignor Rosito from the years 1995 to the year 2016. Enjoy. Today is the Sunday within the octave of Corpus Christi, one of the great feasts of the church, and also known today as the second Sunday after Pentecost. And the epistle is taken from the first letter of St. John. Beloved, do not be surprised if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In this, we have come to know his love, that he laid down his life for us. And we likewise ought to lay down our life for the brethren. He who has the goods of this world and sees his brother in need and closes his heart to him, how does the love of God abide in him? My dear children, let us not love in word, neither with a tongue, but in deed and in truth. And the Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. Luke. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At that time, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees this parable. A certain man gave a great supper, and he invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to tell those invited to come, for everything is now ready. And they all with one accord began to excuse themselves. The first said to him, I have bought a farm, and I must go out and see it. I pray thee, hold me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am, a, I am on my way to try them. I pray thee, hold me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And the servant returned and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house was angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, thy order has been carried out, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and make them come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you that none of those who were invited shall taste of my supper. So far the words of this day's holy gospel. For I tell you that none of those who were invited shall taste of my supper. These are words taken from the gospel of today's Holy Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. My dear friends in Christ, in recent times there has been great concern about the coming of the Antichrist, the end of the world. In Colombia, for example, on June the 6th this month, 1996, where the sixes, three sixes come together, there has been a flood of people rushing to churches to have their children baptized because of the fear that perhaps uh, these days are the days of the final existence of the world and the coming of the end. So they want their children baptized, whether they understand why or not, they know this is required of the church that you must be baptized to get into heaven. And if they've delayed, 
now they are rushing to see that they're closing these last items of efforts to be ready for the coming of the end. Last evening, for those of you who may have tuned in, there was a, a program on the prophecies, the ancient prophecies, number four, I believe it was, uh, about the various extracts of prophecies of the coming of end times from way before the time of Christ until more recent times from various sources, even Catholic sources like the Our Lady of Fatima, then Indians and shamans and pagans, all these are gathered together and presented for whatever it's worth because the times are evil and people have a sense of foreboding. The times of Sodom and Gomorrah saw a reign of fire and brimstone from heaven to, to destroy the people of those times who were very wicked. And yet we in our own times have become even more wicked in the sense that the greater population has abandoned itself to its own freedoms, so-called, to do whatever it pleases for the welfare of the world. We're being crowded out of existence. There's not uh, going to be enough food. The world is being polluted by too many human beings. And so we see an anti-life movement that takes many forms, abortions, uh, uh, wars that are fomented, people being starved deliberately. Uh, there are those who um, uh, promote the cult of death. Dr. Kevorkian, Dr. Death as he's called, has still been free to conduct his uh, program and it will be accepted, it can be pretty sure, because the times are evil. And evil produces evil. And we know that evil cannot produce good. At least this is something we have to re realize. But it's been mixed together with good and evil. So that from one point of view something looks good. And from another point of view it looks bad. The same thing. And with the eyes of faith we try to assess what is truly good. And what is truly evil. No matter how it is presented under the light of being good. And yet producing destruction and death. Will God destroy us as he did Sodom and Gomorrah? There's talk of a great comet that will um, strike the earth and decimate uh, its population. Uh, there are many prophecies and we know that despite it all we're helpless except to choose our own way personally. And this has to be in the basis of your own knowledge not somebody else's knowledge, your own knowledge, your own deeds, not somebody else's deeds. We're all looking for a savior. Let George do it. No, your deeds that you will be responsible for and yet you will be rewarded for or punished for. And so the heightened effect of all of these things are coming to a uh, sort of climatic uh, emphasis in our own times and yet there's also a simultaneous desensitization to the evils of our times when we look back for those of us who are capable of doing so to the 30s and the 40s and the 50s we see that things today are much worse than they were then and they were considered evil compared to the 10s 20s and 30s uh, of this century and we say, what has happened? A deterioration has taken place. How did it come about and what can we do about it? Our Blessed Lady has said, reform your lives. Is it as simple as that? 
reform your lives. We know that the heart of man is inclined to evil from his youth, and he's got to know what that evil is in order to back away from it, to reform his life, to have the light of God to show him in the midst of darkness, human intelligence, philosophy, scientific um, advances and whatnot, but to know the real truth and to sort it out from the errors, the excesses, the heresies, the superstitions, and to have true religion in faith and in practice, to be strong, forthright, upright, in the face of evil, face of human respect, what people will think of you, in the face of difficult decisions that you will suffer for. Uh, all of these things uh, are the essence of our religion based on the teachings of Christ, his church, and the way of life he points out to us. Now, what has been lost is the essence of what our Catholic life is really all about. We are traditional Catholics. We are true Catholics. We are in continuity with the church from the past for all the centuries. The church has been marked with sad episodes in history, bad popes, morally bad, but orthodox nevertheless. And so we see the good that has been preserved through it all. But today we have popes who are not as orthodox, who have delved into changing some of the basic teachings of the church, or if not directly, at least allowed them by not condemning them forthrightly with penalties that are executed through the bishops at their local areas, or the dioceses. And so we see confusion in the church, and we see waywardness, and we see an excitement of uh, growth and development in freedom but without recognizing that it is not true freedom. We are under God with the Ten Commandments and the interpretation of those commandments, taking the safer course. But there are those who want to break away from these restrictions and gamble that maybe there is an alternative. And through pro-choice, uh, maybe choosing these uh, more liberal interpretations and freedoms from these restrictions and taking a chance with eternal salvation. And maybe what seemed bad in the past is not so bad today. Take women's dress, for example. At one time, it was down to the ground, down to the uh, wrists, and uh, bathing was almost a dangerous thing with the clothing that had to be worn in those days of, you might say, puritanical uh, concern. But it was a safer course that was taken rather than to tempt men or people in general to um, things that might excite their senses. Today, you might even say it's almost nude bathing. What has happened from one excess to another? That common sense has been lost. And there is a deterioration of the mind that takes place with every sin, with every departure into false freedom, that you might say insanity is increased, or let's say unsanity is increased. And therefore, what was once bad now looks good. And what was once good now looks bad. And we see this deterioration, this departure, and we examine our church to see that it's intact. And yet, we see departures here. How did it come about? If anybody really wants to 
study this, then I would recommend two books. One's called Grand Orient Freemasonry Unveiled by a Monsignor Dillon, written, you might say, even before our time. It told the plot of over a hundred years ago of a secret <coughs> society in Italy to take back the Papal States and unify the political kingdom of Italy and to do this to subvert the Pope with democratic ideas. Remember, in those days, there were kings. Today, there are hardly any kings at all. But the purpose was to take away the rule of one man and replace it with the rule of many men, called democracy. And we've grown up in that democratic milieu, that idea that uh, we have in America particularly democracy and think that's the standard, that's the norm. And so uh, we find that the Pope, who was a king in his own right spiritually, has been disenfranchised from his political rule over large areas of Italy because perhaps there were abuses, but nevertheless there were good things that came as well there was the Catholic faith and Catholic culture and Catholic institutions that held people in check in the service of God and away from the freedoms that democracy promoted, false freedoms. And so this group of secret society people uh, belong to the Alta Vendita, uh, Carbonari, uh, related to Masonic European um, uh, atheistic uh, secret societies, uh, they plotted to teach democracy secretly or at least um, unobtrusively with a, the other uh, classes, with the other teachings that were normal for those times, protected and orthodox and true, but slipping in under the appearance of good, the freedom, liberty, equality that uh, is the mark of uh, the Masonic uh, organization without saying what true freedom was, what unity or fraternity meant uh, and uh, liberty, equality, what equality equal to what? There was no uh, standard and so the deterioration took place that we were equal to the lowest because everybody can be equal there but not everybody can be equal to the highest in any form so it's a de de deteriorating principle that has operated and they intended also to liberate people from the restrictions of the church the index of forbidden books, they produced laws in the judicial system that uh, permitted uh, the printed pornographic novels. That's why we had the index of forbidden books to say you cannot read these novels. Although they are printed and it is legal in a democratic sense to have freedom of speech and therefore uh, people will have these works available to them and with their minds polluted they begin to then no longer have that sense of modesty and chastity and purity and they begin to deteriorate along the lines of abandonment to vices and um, excesses of all kinds. Brothels were instituted near colleges and young men were uh, told that um, they could frequent these places. The care of young women was taken from the nuns and placed under the state-sponsored uh, guidance of uh, those who were liberated females. And so we see that there was a twofold program to take away the power of the Pope by introducing democratic ideas that would gradually infiltrate into the minds of the clergy 
episcopacy, cardinalate, and eventually the pope, who would accept these principles without realizing that they are really excesses that go astray. There's good in freedom, but there's excess that makes that freedom bad. Just like there's good wine that turns sour, or food that spoils. It's good, but it can be spoiled. And so freedom can be spoiled when it becomes excessive and wayward. And all of these things they promoted through corruption. Now here is the key. To corrupt means to destroy, to deteriorate. And you show them the good side, that they can be free to have whatever they want. And almost like the devil see, speaking over your show. All these things I will give you if falling down you worship me. Now, we say, well, we're not going to worship Satan, but we're going to take his product. Well, who are you buying from? And who are you paying to? Whether you know it or not, it is his kingdom, and this is what the world is not of the kingdom of God. So we live in the world, but not of the world. And so we listen to Christ and we begin to distinguish, we begin to discern, we begin to evaluate the good from the bad, the true from the error, the right from the wrong. But it takes a clarity of mind. And people who do evil lose this clarity of mind. They begin to see the other side of the coin, which is the bad side that looks good, because it's been turned around or inverted. We've talked about these ideas. Now, today we're going to concentrate on the real bottom line. When we talk about the mission of the church, which is uh, lesson 48 in our book on page 104. Very, very important lesson now because what's the church all about? We've talked about the church, what it is, but what is it to do? You might say the gospel tells us, or the epistle particularly, don't just believe, but do what you believe. But believe correctly, so that you will do correctly. So this is our focus. And what is the mission of the church to teaching us and guiding us so that we do the church's work rather than what appears to be the church's work, but is really the world's. So the subversion of the mind of the Pope through the seminarians who later then, through the course of decades, became priests, then some became bishops, a few became cardinals, and from among them came one who was the pope who thought democratically. And we have these popes today. It took a hundred years or more, but now it's worked out. And so we have the results of this in Vatican Council II of the ambiguities and the changes. And what appeared to be good was now a departure from the past. Those things were good, they say, but we live in more modern times. We must update our church. We must accept the um, new findings of science. Otherwise, we'll lose the first place in the world among the religions. Modernism, condemned by Pope Pius X in 1907, said that uh, these modernists want to change everything. Uh, they use Catholic words without Catholic meanings. So it sounds good, but has departed. And they want to save the church because they see it losing its place with the modern mentality as medieval. It's old-fashioned. It's out of date. And therefore, they want to update it, bring it up to the first place again, and to do this, we have to abandon the medieval ideas and standards and uh, outlooks that uh, marked the Catholic mind of the past and put on a new Catholic mind, the new order, the new thinking, the new theology that has been promoted by our bishops and our theologians. 
and has not been stopped by those who have the care and the responsibility of guarding the faith. And so we live in confused times, ambiguities. And what do we do? Go back to your sources and start over and review. And that's what we have been doing in the study of our catechism today, up until this time. So it's not a matter of Latin as opposed to English or the vernacular. It's not a matter of the mass and its shortening or its varieties. It's the essence, essence that has been attacked to subvert the mind, keeping it Catholic and with a small c under the aspect of ecumenism. We're going to bring all these people into the Catholic Church by emphasizing the things we have in common. We have one God, whether it's the Mohammedans or the Jews or the Protestants or even the pagans. There's only one God, and whether they call him Jehovah or Allah or some other great father, great architect among the Masons, uh, it's one God. And therefore, we all worship the one God, and therefore, we all belong to God, and therefore, we're all one church. And that's one of the elements of the new theology that everyone can find salvation in his own church. They don't need to be Catholic. It's best if they were. Let's bring them in. But if they prefer not to, that's fine. They're still going to be saved. Then this is the idea of incarnational theology, even mentioned by Pope John Paul II, as it were, that by the birth of Christ, all men are saved because of the union of the divine and the human in Christ, born of this world, of this uh, human nature, and therefore all human nature is joined to God through Christ in the birth of Christ. What a shift. How logical it seems to be, possibly true, but the fact is it's not true. It's by the death of Christ, not the birth of Christ, that we are saved by his death on the cross, the redeeming sacrifice. And you know, the Protestants have faith as their salvation, not the Mass, not the sacraments, not even good works, virtuous actions, but faith. Faith alone saves you. And therefore, uh, everybody is saved who has faith. Just believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Uh, sounds logical, reasonable, but it's not true. By the death of Christ, his redemption, and the birth of his church, built on Peter and his successors, and the continuity of the presence of the Holy Ghost who is the soul of the church who comes to us through the sacraments and the power of God by the merits of Christ to lift us up to the level of divine activities that by our virtuous actions sanctified we earn the place that we will have in heaven if we get to heaven. Many are called, few are chosen. So with St. Paul we work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Best I have been preached to others, he says, myself become a castaway. So what guarantee do we have? We take the safer course always. In a serious matter, we take the safer course. Sometimes we over um, secure our position, just to be sure. And this is what people resent. Well, why do you have to go so far? Why don't you take a sort of a easier, more lenient attitude? Because then you're veering away from the more sure thing, the more correct thing, absolute. For certain. Now you're in the danger area. You might be right, you might be wrong. But let's not take chances. If the priest sees a host on the floor as he comes to say Mass at the altar, is he going to say, well, I didn't consecrate it, we'll just throw that in uh, with the other uh, hosts or ignore it? 
No, it could be a consecrated host. Now, how does he, trans, uh, how does he uh, treat that? Taking the safer course, he's going to treat it as if it is consecrated. And if it's not consecrated, he hasn't lost anything. But if it is consecrated, he better not throw it in the wastebasket. And so it is with things in general. In moral situations, in marriage, uh, in the Ten Commandments, we take the safer course. And there are interpretations that are more severe than others. And some will say, well, I think that's extreme or excessive, but I'm going to stay within the bounds by being a little bit more lenient, but still correct. Well, uh, there is a little leeway. It's called theological opinions that the church has approved. So we have to have the approval of the church before you have something that you can follow that might be a little bit more lenient. As long as it's by an approved source, uh, then you can follow that uh, particular theological opinion. But we cannot depart from anything that is truly Catholic that is approved, or let's say we cannot follow anything that is disapproved by the church. So here we go now. What is the mission of the church? Why did Jesus Christ found the church? Jesus Christ founded the church to bring all men to eternal salvation. For the grace of God our Savior has appeared to all men instructing us in order that rejecting ungodliness and worldly lusts we may live temperately and justly and piously in this world. This is St. Paul to Titus. Our Lord Jesus Christ established the church in order to lead men to heaven by first continuing his teaching and example. Not to change it. Not to substitute it not to improve upon it, quotation marks, but to continue his teachings unchanged. This is the number one, top of the list. This is what tradition is. Secondly, applying the fruits of his sacrifice on the cross to all men until the end of the world. Applying the fruits of his sacrifice. What about if you say, that well, there is no need for further sacrifices over and done with. Therefore, we don't need the Mass. Or we can now say that for ecumenical purposes, we're going to share with the Protestants their version of a Eucharistic meal. You know, Protestants across the board reject the Mass as a sacrifice. They can accept the Mass as a meal, however. Because it's under two aspects, they can cut off the part that they don't like and share together what they do like. And if, pro if Catholics go along with it, they too cut off, or they may hide the sacrificial nature by sharing the meal nature or the memorial service with Protestants. And this is the ecumenical move today in the new theology, leading us out of the Catholic Church on the name of the Catholic Church, in the name of Catholicity, in the name of the Catholic religion, and we depart. So to apply the fruits of his sacrifice on the cross to all men until the end of time. So we need the Mass, we need the sacraments, we need the teachings intact. Once you change the rules, once you change the instructions and, pro uh, and the practice, you have changed the religion, you've changed the church. And it's being done by leaders in the church who have been subverted over a long period of time with democratic ideas that are false principles and have become victimized now to teaching the flock these same errors in the name of the Catholic religion. We have to do our homework or you will be misled by sheep going astray, by false shepherds who are blind and will lead them thinking that they're leading them correctly. 
Our Lord gave to the church a threefold office. This is very important to remember. Three offices, three things. To teach, number one. Now you've got to have the mind to see before you can do. If you're blind and you're going to walk down a flight of steps that are broken, you better know how to pick your way through the broken steps, otherwise you're going to tumble before you get too very far at all. So you have to see intelligently in order to do intelligently and correctly. To teach, therefore. Secondly, the office of the priest or sanctify. To sanctify. To make us holy. Not by the goodness of human activity, but by the divine goodness of God's grace elevated through baptism to a supernatural state called sanctifying grace. It's not human. It's not natural. It is supernatural. It is superhuman. It is divine. It is the work of Christ who gives us a share in his life through baptism. Unless you're born again of water and the Holy Ghost, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot take on this status as a Catholic. And thirdly, the office of pastor or ruler. Christ is a king, but not of this world. He came to bear witness to the truth, and his followers hear his voice. They take hold of it and practice it. They live it. By these three offices, Christ intended his church to accomplish the purpose for which he founded it. So the church teaches, sanctifies, and rules. Every bishop teaches, sanctifies, and rules. This is what he's supposed to do. Every pastor, in union with the bishop, in union with the pope. These are the offices that, of the church that are to be exercised, to teach you the truth, to lead you to sanctification by your cooperation with the means of grace that we have here as the priest offers them through the Mass and sacraments, and thirdly, to rule over you by the law of the church in keeping with the work of the church to sanctify your soul. So we're not a civil organization. We don't have legal standing as far as the state is concerned. It's been separated through history from the church at one time. It was united. King and Pope worked together in the work of God. Now it's been separated because of the French Revolution primarily and the consequences of democracy that do not allow religion to be considered in its laws or in the application of its laws. Separation of church and state, in other words. Not as God intended, but that's the reality and the way by which subversion has come into society to destroy the work of Christ and of the Holy Ghost and of the church itself. The church founded by Christ was a visible organization with the apostles, the superiors, and rulers. From the very beginning, they exercised their authority and powers. They did not advise, they directed as superiors and decided as judges who gave them power, Christ. But that power is limited to the work of Christ, not their own personal choices, but the work of God in his directions. And when they become personal, then they depart from their office as judges and rulers. We don't have to obey them then when they are not under the authority of God. Thus St. Paul excommunicated the sinful Corinthian and he commanded the Hebrew, obey your superiors and be subject to them. This is very tricky. Obey them in what way? Be subject to them by being subject to them under God. And if they no longer follow God or teach the ways of God, then you are not under them. 
We respect them. We hold them to their offices. But we do not follow their errors when we know for sure that they are in error. And this is what we have to be uh, able to do with our homework. How is the church to enable to lead men to salvation? The church is enabled to lead men to salvation by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who gives it life. Not the goodness of men, not the prosperity of nations, but the guidance of the Holy Ghost. The indwelling, the life-giving soul that makes us Catholic is by the power of the Holy Ghost distributing the merits earned by Christ. This is the work of the Holy Ghost to the end of time, to distribute these merits and to make us holy by his indwelling in our very souls, by grace. God the Father and God the Son sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in the church. On the Feast of Pentecost, we celebrate a mystery, which is forever renewed in the church and in our souls. The mystery of the indwelling of God. How important that is to know and to appreciate. The reign of the law of love. God's love, not human love, not picking and choosing, but doing all things because it is the right thing to do in the service of God. <clears throat> Succeeding the law of bondage and fear. We're not afraid to kill us. Remember Christ rose again from the dead and he promises that he will raise us up. If we are alive with him and suffer with him, we will inherit with him his kingdom. The Holy Spirit guides the rulers of the church, especially the Pope, and helps them in their duties. Not automatically, not out like a machine, but they have to use their head. They have to also be holy. They also have to know, and they have to realize their authority and responsibility in doing God's work and not their own choices of making the human race one. One world government, one world religion, and so on. Sounds great, but the spirit of the world is different from the spirit of God that dwells in his church. And therefore, you cannot mix oil and water. Before the descent of the Holy Spirit, the apostles had been timid and afraid. After his coming, they went forth to teach. Whatever hardships came, they remembered and understood all the teachings of Christ. And that's the kind of spirit we need to have fortitude. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and do nothing more, but be afraid of him who can kill the body and send the soul to hell forever. That's the one to be afraid of. The Holy Spirit preserves the church from all error in its teaching in times of danger. He raises up able defenders of his doctrines. So we need that kind of leadership somewhere that God will. In the meantime, holding fast to the truths of the church. And that's what we're doing. We're holding marking time. We're preserving these truths for our children, particularly hoping that they'll listen, understand, and follow in their turn. Not everyone will, however but to, maybe from them, bring up defenders of the faith in the future, the teachers of the future. St. Athanasius defended the church in the time of the Arian heretics, Pope Gregory VII during a period of great disorder, St. Dominic during the time of the Albigensians, a great uh, heresy, and St. Ignatius of Loyola after the Protestant outbreak. There were men, and it took time, but it had to be drawn from a good selection of faithful people that one will be chosen. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit raises up saints in the church throughout all generations. The members of the church strive to imitate his divine founder and in all countries and all times it, was, it has produced saints, canonized and uncanonized, martyrs, confessors, hidden souls that burn with the love of God in their firmament. Even today, they're holy, holy souls. <clears throat> God makes them with their cooperation, holy. What does the indwelling of the Holy Spirit enable the church to do? 
The indwelling of the Holy Spirit enables the church to teach, to sanctify, and to rule the faithful in the name of Christ. But when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will teach you all the truth. So we don't make it up, and we don't preserve it because we're so smart. It's his power that keeps us mindful and faithful to these teachings that we pass on. So he's operating, whether you know it or not. The church must teach, otherwise men would not know the sacred truths taught by Christ. They would get confused. They would see the good side of heresy because every heresy is a truth that is excessive because it abandons other truths. The church must sanctify bringing grace, otherwise men could not be saved. You can't be saved on your own power. That's the error of masonry, that you can save yourself by your goodness. And the church must rule because Christ founded it as a society which must have authority. So we need this external authority, but behind it is the invisible authority of God himself through Christ and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down upon the apostles to enlighten, strengthen, and sanctify them so that they could preach the gospel and spread the church all over the world. To Timothy, St. Paul says, Guard the good trust through the Holy Spirit who dwells in, 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 in us. He's available, but he's not going to force. And there's where we need holy leaders besides knowledgeable ones. The power to sanctify is the power of orders. The power to teach and to rule is the power of jurisdiction. With these powers, as can easily be seen in the Gospels, Christ gave his, his apostles and those who were to follow them the power to bind and to loose, to baptize and forgive sin, to offer Holy Mass. It's been going on since the beginning of the church. What is meant by teaching, sanctifying, and ruling in the name of Christ? In the name of Christ, the words here mean by the mandate, by the command, with the power of, of Christ, who remains forever the invisible head of the church. So it is Christ you listen to, not to me. Pray that I will always teach you correctly the truth of the Catholic Church. The will of Christ is fully expressed in the commission he gave to his apostles. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. During his public life, Christ was a teacher, making his doctrines clear as in the Sermon on the Mount. So read that sermon and read it again and again. He appointed the church to teach, saying, Go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's up to you with your neighbors, your relatives, your children. Teach them. Otherwise, they won't know. It's not just for priests. It's for all of us. Today, the church continues to teach what he taught by preaching, by deciding controversies, by condemning wrong teaching. We can go back to the heresies that were condemned by the church, by the popes, that are being practiced in the church today by the popes and the bishops. These are condemned things that are being promoted as Catholic teaching. Go back and study your history. What was wrong cannot become right. What was right cannot become wrong. Know the difference. Because here is the speck in our eye. We trust our leaders. Remember, they could be wrong. How do you know? By checking the sources and the continuity unbroken through the centuries. Do your homework. Second book, The Rhine Flows into the Tiber by Father Wilkin, shows you how Vatican Council II was used, not as a doctrinal council, but a 
pastoral council to push new methods and carry along the doctrines of the new theology and these new methods, thinking they're acceptable when one is right, but the part that's wrong is also accepted as right. The new theology is wrong and cannot be accepted as Catholic. During the life, uh, during life, Christ dispensed the means of grace as when he forgave Mary Magdalene, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. He gave this flesh and blood at, uh, uh, at the Last Supper. He appointed the church to continue this office to sanctify the faithful by administering the means of grace. The church has the power to forgive sins. When he said, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. It had power to offer Mass when after instituting the Holy Eucharist at the Last Supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Today the church exercises the priestly office in offering Mass, forgiving sins, administering the sacraments, and so on, blessing. Finally, Christ was the good shepherd, the pastor, the ruler of men. He gave commandments, sent his disciples on missions, instructed them, and reproved the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, the models among the Jews. He reproved them. He appointed the church to rule with authority, saying, He who rejects you rejects me. But the rulers cannot reject Christ and still be his representatives, so we go to Christ through them, if they are in line with Christ. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound also in heaven. So we respect that authority, even though it's misused. Uh, we cannot follow it, but they still have that office, that commission, that responsibility. And they will be judged if they don't use it rightly. The church exercises this office by laying down precepts for all to observe, by reproving and correcting, by binding and loosing. Without this pastoral office and the corresponding duty of the faithful to obey, it, should, it would be impossible for the church to keep going. Now, we sometimes have harsh rulers, leaders. Depends upon the temperament of the person. Sometimes we have lenient. Sometimes they're too harsh, sometimes they're too lenient. But we need to have that evenness of justice, which is the balance of all the virtues in charity, to operate with the love of God, the charity of God, the grace of God. And we all need it, not just the leaders. Take heed to yourselves and to the whole flock in which the Holy Spirit has placed you as bishops to rule the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. There's much more yet to be said about the church, and we'll be spending a number of lessons on this, but this is the key, the mission of the church. Why is the church here? And what does it do? The three offices, and to be operating correctly, teaching, sanctifying, ruling, as Christ commissioned the church to do, without changing it, without it being subverted by corruption. So the bottom line is, no matter what we face with these prophecies that we hear here and there, some true, some false, perhaps yes, perhaps no, they're ambiguous, one thing, do no evil. Know the truth. Do not go to errors. Remember, God said, or Christ said, the, the, the problem is that many have loved darkness instead of light. He came as a light into the world, but they loved the darkness instead, and they rejected the light. And so, for this reason, he says with the, the gospel of today, for I tell you that none of those who were invited shall taste of my supper. We're all invited. But who will remain? Not those who get inside the door, because if you're not wearing the wedding garment, you'll be ushered out again.
So we're in, but to stay in is the problem, and we have to do our homework, pray, and practice our faith with charity as the queen of all the virtues that we cannot abandon in the name of all that's true, right, and just. So we need the Holy Ghost, we need the grace of God, we need our efforts to know, love, and serve God with the cooperation that we give to the Holy Spirit who operates within us to know and to love and to serve God by his own power. This is the mission of the church. This is the mission that also belongs to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.